You and your dog are a team. Fuel is best in the field and in life with Purina Pro Plan Sport. Made for hardworking dogs of all ages, every sport formula starts with real meat as the number one ingredient and is specifically formulated to support strength and stamina. Try it today and see why ProPlan is the official dog food of Ducks Unlimited. Learn more at ProPlanSport.com. Mossy Oak has partnered with Ducks Unlimited to bring you Shadowgrass Habitat, the official camo of Ducks Unlimited. Shadowgrass Habitat pays homage to the first waterfowl-specific camo pattern ever made, Mossy Oak Shadowgrass, while incorporating the most realistic, digitally accurate images of the natural habitats that make up true waterfowl habitat. Mossy Oak is committed to conservation as its highest priority. With the launch of Mossy Oak Shadowgrass Habitat, Mossy Oak will continue funding habitat protection projects through our longtime partnership with Ducks Unlimited. Check out the new Shadowgrass Habitat pattern at mossyoak.com. Step into the world of Campus Waterfowl, a community that's shaping the future of the hunting industry. At Campus Waterfowl, we're more than just hunters. We're students. We're, students. we're conservationists. We're conservationists. With the next generation. the next generation. Join us as we highlight the dedication and commitment of young hunters nationwide. Visit CampusWaterfowl.com to become part of our story. Campus Waterfowl, the future of hunting starts here. We are the Ducks Unlimited Nation. United by our passion for hunting, the outdoors, and conservation. The habitats that Ducks Unlimited have been maintaining and building since 1937 have effects far beyond the duck hunting community. Follow along with our YouTube series as we tell your stories and become part of the Ducks Unlimited Nation. DU Nation. Take it outside. Welcome to the Ducks Unlimited podcast, the only podcast about all things waterfowl. From hunting insights to science-based discussions about ducks, geese, and issues affecting waterfowl and wetlands conservation in North America, we bring the resource to you. The DU Podcast with your host, Chris Jennings. Joining me again today is the National Director of Event Fundraising and R3 Programs, David Schusler. David, welcome back to the podcast. Hey, Chris. Thanks for uh, having me back. You know, I asked David to come back on here because we were kind of talking offline, and we were talking about the event system and how the event system is really kind of the face-forward aspect of the organization. People throughout the country, everywhere, you know, attend DU events. They know the regional directors. They know these people. But I wanted to bring David on to really provide a background about, you know, the history of the event system and also, you know, what regional directors do. But before we do that, David, can you provide a little background of how you got involved with DU's event system? Well, I uh, born and raised in Tallahassee, Florida, which is not the duck hunting capital of the world, but <laughs> That's right. but there's uh, certainly enough that find their way there every year. Um, and I grew up in uh, duck hunting families, both sides of my family, and grew up in DU families. My father was a volunteer. My uncles were volunteers. And um, it's just something that we always did. So when I finished school and ended up moving to Charlotte, North Carolina, didn't know anybody, <laughs> was bummed out, depressed because I, I I was lonely. And my father said, go join the DU committee because you'll always find people like yourself no matter where you are on a DU committee. And I did, uh, of course, fell in love with it. And a few years later, had the opportunity to go to work for DU as a regional director in North Carolina and uh, then have had myriad roles uh, since then, but did start with the the organization as a regional director. That's one thing we always talk about here at DU is, you know, 
people send emails and say, hey, I'm trying to get involved with this. And they may be in Oregon or they may be in Louisiana. And like one of our responses is, you know, if they're just trying to learn about waterfowl hunting and, and get into it, like, man, you should you should probably maybe join the local committee. Yeah, join your local committee. Because you're yeah. going to be sitting there with like-minded individuals who are duck hunters and conservationists. And so, you know, that's always a great starting point. And that's, I mean, that's it, a very similar story throughout the organization. Yeah, and I'll add that very rarely do we hire somebody as a regional director who has not been a volunteer for the organization. Um, probably 99% of the time when we have a position come open when we start to receive uh, resumes and interest. It's those volunteers, either from that area or another area, um, who want to be a regional director for for DU. So um, it's our our committees are, the organization would not function without them. Mm-hmm. But for me, um, as somebody that oversees the event division, it's also kind of our training grounds for our future regional directors. Yeah, that's awesome. Uh, before we get into, and I, and I want to even with this podcast, I really want to take this opportunity to even define, you know, what a regional director is and does and, and who are these people that, you know, our general audience is seeing. But before we do that, let's do a little bit of a historical background because Ducks Unlimited's event system really set the foundation for several other nonprofits for, you know, to say, hey, DU is successful because of this. And then everyone pretty much copied, you know, that template. But before we, you know, get into just kind of the history of the event system with DU. I think it will surprise a lot of people that it hasn't been around as long as the organization. Mm-hmm. DU was started in 1937. I mean, while we immediately started fundraising, kind of the event system as we know it today organically developed in the late 50s and early 60s. Up until that time, everything was 100% volunteer-based except for our executive vice president. Mm -hmm. And states had state chairman, which is a position we still have today. But that person's job was to literally raise funds one person, one donor at a time throughout their state. And they might ask some of their buddies to help them, uh, but we weren't gathering people. We were making you know, phone calls or writing letters. And as a friend of mine, I would like for you to donate to Ducks Unlimited. In the late 50s, early 60s, and really it was Dale Whitesell, who was the third executive vice president of DU, that's now our CEO, Mm -hmm. in working with the volunteers in Wisconsin, they came up with this concept of let's knock a whole bunch of these dominoes down at one time. Let's invite a whole bunch of people into a room, not charge them to come in, but get them into the room and then ask them, Uh, to give the Ducks Unlimited. There's some argument about what was the first event. Mm -hmm. I I don't think we have the records to show that. We do know it was in the Milwaukee area, and it very quickly took off from there. And a couple of years later, um, we started hiring regional directors. Our first was a gentleman by the name of Ben Anderson who had the whole country. (laughs) (laughs) We've got states like Texas that have six RDs in it now. Ben had the whole country. And his job was to set up local chapters to go and recruit volunteers. You remember where he was out of? I believe California. Um, We were headquartered in Chicago at Mm -hmm. that time. And uh, very quickly, they hired somebody to cover east of the Mississippi and then then head west of the Mississippi. I started with Ducks Unlimited in 1999. So I knew some of the regional directors who had come on board in the early 70s and got to hear the stories Mm -hmm. of how quick in the 60s and 70s and even into the 80s we were adding staff because this system just took off. It was very popular. 
It allowed duck hunters in a community to come together, raise funds for something um, that was beneficial to their heritage and what they like to do every year. And uh, the event system took off. One of the things that Dale Whitesell did, though, um, and I'm even guilty of saying that we were copied. Mm -hmm. We weren't copied. Dale invited other groups in educate them about what we were doing yeah. as they started up. When you say other groups, other nonprofits who are out just fundraising. Wild Turkey Federation, yep. um, Pheasants Forever, groups mm -hmm. like that, um, to tell them that what you're doing is just as noble as what we're doing. Mm -hmm. You're doing it for a different species focus. Let us show you what, you know, how this works for yeah. us and what have them into Chicago and give them a blueprint of how you can go and be successful. No, that's And pretty. I think that's neat. That's a really cool part of our history for the entire, you know, nonprofit conservation world. And I think it's something that DU can be proud of. Absolutely. And, you know, what what is cool is even as you're talking about it, I'm kind of envisioning some of those old photos that we had in the 75th anniversary with, like, the New York dinner. Mm -hmm. You know, everyone's in, in – and a lot of those from the 50s, 60s, 70s, everyone at these DU dinners, they're all in – Coat and tie. Uh, some mean, of them black tie. Yeah. yeah. I mean, these are, it was, you the know. The who's who. Yeah. It was really high. And, and that's kind of how, how I got introduced to DU when I was like 13, 14 years old. We would go to the local DU dinner. Now, and it wasn't, I'm not going to say that it was like fancy by any means. I mean, it's from in Terre Haute, Indiana. It's not that fancy. Uh, but it was the who's who. You know, and sure. it was like, and once I got on the committee, I started realizing like, hey, you know, this is a, it's a, election year. And so like our fundraising would go up significantly because then you got the who's who competing That's with the right. who's who. It's very cool dynamic. And and I'm sure all of our listeners out there have been to an event, but um, you mentioned, you know, with 1RD and how many events is that person actually able to hold, but how many events are we holding right now? So right now we have 2,400 chapters across the country. And, and assuming that we don't get shut back down, mm -hmm. I'm going to knock on some wood yeah. here, we'll hold around 4,000 events this year. Wow. And th is that counting online events? No, that is okay. not that's a completely counting. That separate. A, that's completely You're, separate. Okay. Right? Yeah. These are, these are in-person events. Um, so we have right now 84 regional directors. That was going to be my next question. So if you take a look at that, it's about 29 chapters per RD is the average. Now, some have more, some have less, but that is the average. And I think that's a a big part of what people don't understand when they meet the regional director um, at their local DU event and mm -hmm. they see um, somebody shaking hands, they see somebody up front at the stage making sure that it's um, everything is running smoothly and you think that's a, that's a cool job. And being a regional director is a very cool job. Mm -hmm. But what most people don't realize, they're seeing one event with one chapter. Yeah. And the average RD has 28 chapters and more than two events per chapter. Wow! So yeah. you get to see you get to see the duck on top of the water. You don't get to see the fast paddling yeah. under the water and all of the paperwork and the dealing with uh, merchandise that comes yeah. in broken and, yeah. and all of that. No, and, and I, I kind of wanted to hit on that because you know you're explaining how you know, the regional director's role, but really that regional director's role kind of starts out with recruiting that local volunteer committee, you know, and or either it's in place or maintaining that committee. Mm -hmm. um, and so that person kind of, you know, works with a group of upwards of 25, you know, committee members per, sure. or more. I mean, you have 100 committee members, but, um, you know, and that specific committee doesn't necessarily see how, you know, the tickets are being ordered. 
you know, the the buckets are being put in place, the things like that. And sure. so I kind of wanted to touch on that, just that full encompassing role of the regional director. So I liken our event system to college athletics mm-hmm. uh, in the sense that the Jimmies and Joes are more important than the X's and O's. And so recruiting, I mean, if you take a look at the, mm-hmm. the top college, either football or basketball programs, they're at the top because they go out and they recruit properly and they have generally their players better match up one-on-one with their competition. Yeah. Uh, the higher um, quality volunteer that we recruit you will see immediate results inside of your fundraising. And so for a regional director, while um, the ultimate goal is to raise funds inside of those events that fund Ducks Unlimited's machine, if they're not recruiting, just like college coaches, if they're not recruiting and filling their teams with qualified candidates that are going to um, raise those funds in those communities, we won't be successful. So it's recruit recruit, recruit. It's an inside joke inside of my staff, mm-hmm. uh, but but there was a meeting one time where I was asking for the top three things that you're going to do next year. One of the answers was recruit, recruit, recruit. <laughs> I thought you were going to say all, all top three. Recruit, recruit, recruit. All three are recruiting. And it is true uh, because there's 84 regional directors. There's 50,000 volunteers. Mm-hmm. It simply doesn't work without all of the volunteers out there doing what they do for DU. And, and, you know, even you mentioned they're holding maybe two events a year, but these regional directors are also holding recruiting events, which are not necessarily considered an event. Correct. And so, like, maybe they're doing two or three recruiting events, and so it's just, you know, just broadens that full, you know, the position as what it is. And that's why, that's really why I wanted you to come on here to talk about that, just because I've mentioned several times, you know, the general DU member, you know, the a banquet attendee, um, that regional director, when they walk in the room, that is like Mr. DU, mm-hmm. you know, that's the face of the organization and, and how important that role plays in, in every aspect from the recruiting, from the fundraising and from just an, an image perspective. I mean, mm-hmm. most people wouldn't even know, you know, some of our executive leaders face, but they would know their local, you know, regional director. I think that's just an interesting aspect of the job. I think it, defines how important the role is. Mm-hmm. Um, I would also add that you know, that local area chairman, the person who is in charge of of uh, that chapter, is kind of the same way Absolutely. with those bank one attendees. And, you know, the, the one of the questions that has been pondered and debated for years and years is what is the most important volunteer position in DU? What's the most important staff position in DU? Now, I don't want to get into the conservation end of things because mm-hmm. our biologists and engineers obviously are critical in what they do. But from a fundraising perspective, I believe the most important volunteer position is the area chairman. A very difficult position, but a very rewarding one. I was an area chairman. And the most important position inside of fundraising is the regional director because mm-hmm. of the role they play in being the face of Ducks Unlimited on average. You and your dog are a team. Fuel is best in the field and in life with Purina ProPlan Sport. Made for hardworking dogs of all ages, every sport formula starts with real meat as the number one ingredient and is specifically formulated to support strength and stamina. Try it today and see why ProPlan is the official dog food of Ducks Unlimited. Learn more at ProPlanSport.com. 
Mossy Oak has partnered with Ducks Unlimited to bring you Shadowgrass Habitat, the official camo of Ducks Unlimited. Shadowgrass Habitat pays homage to the first waterfowl-specific camo pattern ever made, Mossy Oak Shadowgrass, while incorporating the most realistic, digitally accurate images of the natural habitats that make up true waterfowl habitat. Mossy Oak is committed to conservation as its highest priority. With the launch of Mossy Oak Shadowgrass Habitat, Mossy Oak will continue funding habitat protection projects through our longtime partnership with Ducks Unlimited. Check out the new Shadowgrass Habitat pattern at mossyoak.com. Step into the world of Campus Waterfowl, a community that's shaping the future of the hunting industry. At Campus Waterfowl, we're more than just hunters. We're students. We're, students. we're conservationists. We're conservationists. With the next generation. next generation. Join us as we highlight the dedication and commitment of young hunters nationwide. Visit CampusWaterfowl.com to become part of our story. Campus Waterfowl, the future of hunting starts here. We are the Ducks Unlimited Nation. United by our passion for hunting, the outdoors, and conservation. The habitats that Ducks Unlimited have been maintaining and building since 1937 have effects far beyond the duck hunting community. Follow along with our YouTube series as we tell your stories and become part of the Ducks Unlimited Nation. DU Nation, take it outside. In 28 communities... Um, inside inside of their region. Yeah, no, that's it is. It's absolutely critical. You know, let's talk about the events themselves, and and I think this is a, a cool conversation because traditionally we've always had you know the banquet, mm-hmm. the DU banquet, the dinner, the dinner. You know, where you sit down and you eat prime rib, and then you go through an auction, and there's a silent auction going on, and it, you know, w- when did that transition into like what time what was the time frame was when the kind of the banquet which we still have all over the place and they're awesome still place Uh, for them without a doubt but when did when did you guys start looking at it and be like all right let's try and do this i remember like the waterfowl hunters parties Uh kicked off in like 2008 or 9 but how did that transition kind of work when did you look at it and be like well hey we can do mother events i think it was post 9-11 really yeah um and i was a regional director at that time and i think Society paused for a moment. Um, you know, that was such a shock to mm-hmm. our country to be attacked on our own soil. And as a regional director, I saw attendance. And I think all across the country, we saw attendance start to wane in our events. You know, you had this cocooning. People wanted to be at home more. Maybe subconsciously, they were just, mm-hmm. they just didn't want to be out. So we had to come up with attractive gatherings um, that weren't their traditional prime rib and fried chicken, which again are great. Mm-hmm. If, if, if there are area chairmen listening, please don't stop doing those because they are still the core of what we do. But that's when the waterfowl hunter parties um, were developed. The sportsman's night out mm-hmm. were developed. We had some chapters go to more heavy raffle events and it was organic in nature. Yeah, uh, The waterfowl hunter parties, if I'm not mistaken, I believe uh, came out of Minnesota. So many good ideas mm-hmm. that we have come out of Minnesota. There's something in the water up there, <laughs> but it worked. Yeah. And what, what we realized is there's more than one way to skin a cat. We can still gather people in a manner um, that they find enjoying yeah. and uh, raise money for Ducks Unlimited doing it. And since then, I mean, good gosh, the, the, type of events we have now um, and the spinoffs that you see with ice fishing tournaments and bill fishing tournaments and tuna tournaments and Mm -hmm. you know I think in Louisiana we have a chapter that does a a frog gigging tournament and and then the following week have a fried frog leg dinner Um, a muskrat cook in Delaware 
Oh, that sounds tasty. <laughs> <laughs> it is in Delaware. But we continue to do that. Yeah. We continue to find uh, new ways to bring people together. And, and I think that's what's enabled us to show the growth that we did right mm-hmm. up until COVID. And now kind of and, and remain strong during COVID with a lot of online fundraising. But then now we're seeing um, incredible health coming out of it because of that continual organic, it comes up from the volunteers, it comes up from the regional directors of let's try this. We try a lot of things that don't work, but we try a whole lot of things that do work. I mean, the, the new one now is bingo events. Yeah. And that's not new. I think we've been playing bingo in this country for a long time. But not for Benelli's. Not for <laughs> <laughs> Bingo for Benelli's. Yeah. I like it. Yeah, I, they, like it, I just, just came up with an idea. I love it. It's great. Uh, but those are incredibly popular mm-hmm. all across the country. Yeah. And it was one regional director, and I can't remember who. Someone will send you an email after this. It was, yeah. It's, it, again, I think it was Minnesota. Yeah. Might have been Wisconsin. I think it was Minnesota. Said, people are gathering to do this. Let's try it. And what we found is there was an age group in that mid-20s to mid-30s. Bingo was really popular. I mean, it was kind of retro. Yeah. Oh, and yeah. when they found that they could go and do it, and support DU, yeah. we were selling them out, doing them outside in the middle of COVID because we could. Yeah. I've I've actually gotten emails from like some of my buddies in northern Indiana who were like, man, that bingo thing is awesome. And I was like, and I didn't even know. I was like, what bingo thing? Because I hadn't attended one down here. And actually, it was a guy who contributes to the podcast here, Jay Anglin. He runs a chapter up there. And he was cool. like, dude, that bingo thing, people are going nuts. Yeah. So it, it's just cool to see the different variations of events. And, you know, I'm on the committee, and you used to be originally, I think in 2008 or nine, we kicked off the crawfish boil. That's right. And that was That's me right. and you and right. Mike and uh, Adam, Adam DeHaan. Yeah. Yep. And, uh, and, and that was when I first started and, and really got involved. And, you know, I'm still shoveling crawfish at that event now. Uh, but but that's kind of one of those cool things that I can look at it. You know, even he, it's held at national headquarters, you know, but you can look at the progression of that event. You know, it started out, we got I think we got a keg of beer and 200 pounds of crawfish. That's correct. And, and, and held it in a conference room up front of the building. Which then they told us to never bring crawfish back <laughs> in the building. That was, that was the best part about that event. But, you know, it started out and it was literally like 80 people. Mm-hmm. And we made some money, had some fun, you know. But now, I mean, we're putting eight or 900 people. We have to get a tent. Yeah, yeah. I mean, the parking lot is the only place big enough to hold it. Yeah, I'm, I'm yeah. ordering six, 7,000 pounds of crawfish for this two-and-a-half-hour event. It's just, you know, the progression of how that event continues to grow. But it's it's very unique. But what's neat is the Memphis chapter and the, and, and the Germantown chapter, mm-hmm. a suburb of Memphis, and they're still holding their traditional prime rib dinners. Oh, so absolutely. We, so we've layered on... And I, and I don't think the attendance, you have a few crossovers there. No, oh, yeah. But I think it's a different group of people that come to the crawfish mm-hmm. boil than go to the Memphis dinner at the Hilton. Yeah, no, you're exactly right. And that's and that's what I like. I think it's just a cool conversation mm-hmm. to have. Now, one, I'm just me being curious. What are some of the differences in events regionally? Like what, when you think of like, so you were in North Carolina, then you were in Texas. You know, you probably go to California events. I know you've been to Great Lakes events up there. You know, what just kind of stands out? Like if you think of, oh, I'm going to an event in Wisconsin, what is this going to be like? So events in the South generally have really big live auctions. Hmm. Whereas events up North, it's a nice mix, but they're very heavy on raffles. They love games up there. Oh, yeah. 
from Indiana. I, we like gambling. I can't, and I can't tell you why yeah. that is. I just, I think it's how it was developed. Yeah. Um, Texas, which in DU terms is kind of a region of its own, um, their rifles are through the roof, but so are their live auctions. Mm-hmm. Um, out west, it's all about the firearms. People will literally decide. Really? If they're hmm. going to attend an event based on how many firearms are going to be there. When you get into some of the, what I would consider non-traditional duck hunting areas, mm-hmm. a lot of it depends on will you have elk hunting oh, yeah. stuff there. A lot of it depends on who the area chairman is and is it a a function of the community where it's a C and B scene type of function. Yeah. But there are those regional um, differences. Yeah. You know, again, going back to Texas, it's attendance. Yeah. I mean, there's some events in Texas that have eight, 900 people at a prime rib and fried chicken. Out there, it's probably brisket and sausage. Yeah. Traditional event. But, you know, the ticket price to get in is, say, $75. Do that math. Yeah. We're raising good funds for conservation and that type of event. Yeah, just by putting people in the door. Yep. I mean, with so that it, many people. Yeah, yeah so it, it is neat how it's mm-hmm. how, how it's different. The... Um, I would also say the the saturation of chapters um, is different. Uh, if you look in Minnesota, Wisconsin, that area up there, if you have a blinking light, you have a chapter. Whereas California, it's really kind of the cities and towns. Mm-hmm. And, and, and really, that's kind of the way it is here in the area we're in as yeah. well. It's not as much just like local community as much as metro area. Yeah, maybe. like in the Upper Peninsula, if they can put 25 people together, they've got a chapter. That's pretty They're cool. going to hold an event yeah. up there. That's a shout-out to Steve Kressel. Steve, <laughs> who I doubt is listening, but retired yeah. um, uh, about a year ago. And, and 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 if Steve could put 25 people in a room, they were going to have a DU event. Fantastic. Well, you know, and everyone who is familiar with the the DU event, the, you know, now we've, we've talked about the RD, but one of the big things that stands out um, with every event, and you've kind of hinted around it, you know, let's talk about that. Like, how did that whole progression come about? I mean, you can have a great dinner and you can have this, but if you really put in that very attractive merchandise as part of that package for raffles and auctions and things like that, that's the game changer. And a lot of it is the only place you can find it. That's right. a DU event. Yeah. So in the 60s, they realized that this event system was growing so quickly that headquarters needed to help supplement the fundraising by sourcing at an economy of scale some items Mm-hmm. Uh, to go into these events. Back then, they called it the Special Projects Program. Hmm. And had no idea why they named yeah. it that. <laughs> uh, somebody from Chicago was going to Orvis and going to Abercrombie & Fitch, and they were sourcing things to put into the events. As it continued to grow, you know, in the early 70s, we started adding firearms, then started adding the the Artist of the Year print and and. and added artwork into that, then came the decoys, and eventually up until today, you've got youth items and you have housewares and you have big inflatable ducks and and all of that. And and we still see where chapters will go and source items for their events locally. Yeah. But it became really challenging to do that as the DU model started to expand. And it wasn't just Ducks Unlimited sharing it with the turkeys or with the quail or with the elks. Now you have schools using our, our model and you have churches using our model. While the, those chapters go out and source that, we have a very large merchandise 
package program that is run through headquarters, but it's managed by volunteers. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I was going to kind of explain that first because yeah. I get a lot of emails about, hey, you know, how do you select the, you know, the different um, items for the event package? But I think that, that that's a great explanation. Yeah, so one time a year um, in February of every year, um, we will have companies submit items and there will be thousands of items mm-hmm. that come into this building. And then a committee of volunteers with a handful of staff from around the country. And these volunteers on their own time, their own dime, fly in or drive into Memphis. And they spend three days looking at each individual item. And they rank it and they talk about it. And eventually they're left with, you know, 50 to 60 items that make the merchandise package. And we try our hardest to put as much American-made Mm-hmm. products in our package as we can. And we continue to grow that, which is a really good sign of, I think, where the country is and bringing yeah. manufacturing back um, and trying to put something in there that will appeal to all sportsmen and women coming into our events and not just duck hunters. And Chris, I think that's something important as you look at the event system Back in the 50s and 60s and those black tie events, those were duck hunters. Yeah, I mean, that's who, Oh yeah, that was it. Well, over time, and especially over the past decade, decade and a half, we have purposefully structured our events, not just be about duck hunting, but about the outdoors mm-hmm. in general. And that's why I think you now see a rifle of the year, yeah. which is a either, you know, an elk or a deer gun yeah. um, in there. You're seeing um, more things that pertain to upland hunters and not just duck hunters. Yeah. Duck hunters will always be the central and focus point of what we do inside of our event system. But we have sportsmen and sportswomen who maybe only duck hunt once or twice a year, but are avid dove hunters Mm -hmm. or avid anglers that want to come and be a part of that. And we've structured our merchandise uh, package appropriately for that. Yeah. And you kind of touched on that, you know, um, Back in the day, like in the 50s, 60s, 70s, a lot of DU events used to be like, what did they consider them, like stag events, where it was like men only. Correct. And that has become, you know, a major transition where there are a lot of not only women waterfowlers, but just women conservationists, women, like you said, anglers who are attending these events. How's that impacting, you know, the event merchandise and even the events as as a whole? I think, well, first of all, it's great for events. Mm -hmm. When I became a regional director in 1999, In the part of the world I worked in, there were still quite a number of men-only events. And part of my charge as a regional director was to educate these committees that you're not maximizing your opportunity by having this be the old boys club. Um, I was very proud that by the time I left to take another position in Texas, almost all of the chapters in my area had gone co-ed. And the the fundraising was growing tremendously. Yeah. So, so it's, it's, it's great for the organization. And it, it's just, it's who we are. It's how we will be. The merchandise package has changed to reflect that, but also in a good way because I've watched women shame men <laughs> in live auctions on some of these items. Yeah. And so, and, and I think it's great. And so much of our leadership now um, are females and it's just, it's just who we are. Now. Yeah. And we have, you know, just women events, you know, we host one here we at do, Women of yeah. Wellness. We host yeah, one we here do. at NHQ, which is a good event. As far as merchandise, before we get off this, this is another, just me being curious. You mentioned like guns are big in Texas or maybe you said out West. I mean, right. uh, obviously in Texas, uh, is there a specific part of the region that the prints, you know, the, the ducks unlimited print package is really kind of almost iconic 
for the organization. Are there regions that are really focused on these prints or maybe even decoys? Like I think the decoys have, I think they're attractive across the country at a pretty, mm-hmm. now, you know, obviously a, a black duck is not going to sell great out west. You know, I mean, there's some mm-hmm. species differences there, but uh, but I think the decoys are pretty across the board, um, have an equal attractiveness to them. The prints we struggled with a little bit mm-hmm. because of the regional aspect yeah. of it. So what people are going to see is we've actually shrunk the standard print package, and this will be next year, I believe. We've shrunk the standard print package and are offering regional artwork that committees can choose from outside of the package. Out West, you know, there might be an an elk print Mm -hmm. um, or a salmon print, whereas in the South, you'll have Bob White quail. So we're giving the committees the opportunity um, to even get deeper into choosing what is going to appeal to their event attendees. Yeah. So we're excited about that. We did it a little bit this Mm -hmm. past year. Uh, but we're really excited about the different offerings that committees will be able to choose from based on where they're uh, located regionally. That's awesome. Let's talk about the money. I mean, what we're doing here, fundraising, it's about the money. I mm-hmm. mean, that's there's no way around that. Kind of explain how that money goes from local to national. That process as it as it completely comes in, you know, from the dollar that's handed over at the event all the way through. So there are two types of funds that come through an event. And if you think about what's sold on the live auction or the silent auction, uh, a regular membership or a regular sponsorship, those dollars are called unrestricted dollars. They are not earmarked in any way, and the organization can spend them however we wish. However, our scientists tell us those funds need to be spent. We can spend them wherever we want. And all money that is raised at these events comes to national headquarters so our science team and our conservation team can say, this is how we want to divide this out, as well as our finance committee, which is run by the volunteers. Um, We do have some major donors who choose to make their payments through events because they want their local chapter to receive the recognition. Some of those are earmarked for special areas. Mm-hmm. Uh, for instance, my when when I make a, uh, a a major donor payment at an event, my major donor dollars are earmarked for the breeding grounds. Yeah. Um, some major donors do have an unrestricted tag on their gift, but that's really how you look at it. Yeah. But let's focus on what the events are really there for, yeah. which are the unrestricted dollars, which are kind of the greenest of the green because we can spend them wherever we want. If we want to send them to Canada to go to workforce in Saskatchewan or Alberta or wherever, we can do that. We can send them to Alabama if we want to. send them to Alabama. We can send them to any of the regional office Mm -hmm. to be spent. We can use them in Washington, D.C. as we further our policy efforts there. So the event system is the, as you look at it organizationally, the event system provides the vast majority of those unrestricted dollars to the organization. Yeah. Um, so that is the, from from an importance perspective of the event system, that's really where I think our treasurer or the finance w- committee would say, this is why the event system is so important. Not only does it provide us with the majority of our membership, 75 to 80% in an average year, most of those unrestricted dollars are coming from it. And 80%, now think about this for a minute, 
80% of the major donors that Ducks Unlimited has, actually it's more than 80%, their first taste of DU was going to a Ducks Unlimited event. Yeah. So it's the it's the door that a future major donor walks through and begins their relationship with the organization. The organization's largest donor, Jim Kennedy, his first connection with the organization was answering an ad in a newspaper to become a volunteer for the Atlanta, Georgia chapter. <laughs> That's a cool story, yeah. yeah. And, and, and that kind of goes all the way through the organization, too. I mean, how many board members, you know, people who sit on the board of directors for Ducks Unlimited, how many of those people are starting? You know, their first experience with DU. The majority. Was it, yeah, yeah the I majority. was going to – I would have almost said 100%, but, you know, that's – it just – you know, that just goes to show you the impact that the events have throughout the entire organization. Correct. All right, Dave, before we get you out of here, I have several more questions, but this one is is one that I think is is very appropriate for you to answer in your position. If you, if you had to choose like some unique events that you would tell someone just, you know, someone who's been a part of DU but hasn't been to one of these events, you know, pick a couple, a few events that you would say, man, you've got to go to this one. This is just wild. Like something that you can't even imagine a DU event would be. Um, the first one would be Fishing for Ducks every February in Garrison, Minnesota. It's on Black Lake and... They put three to 4,000 ice fishermen without shelter on the lake for a two-hour tournament. And I've been twice. I'm planning on going again this year. It's the most amazing thing I've ever seen. That'd be, that would be number one. Yeah. Um, some others, and I know I'm going to upset some people not, not talking about their events. Um, the Seaweed Oyster Roast, yeah. Southeastern Wildlife mm-hmm. Exposition in, in Charleston, Uh, That chapter there, um, the East Cooper chapter, puts on an oyster roast for about 2,000 people in a bus barn, a city bus barn, and they have about two hours to set up for it. They bring oysters in by the semi-trailer for it. Um, That's one that is super incredible. I used to work it with Brett Baker, who was the regional director at the time. Mm-hmm. And working it is not fun. Yeah. Going to it is a lot of fun. Um, I, I'll list three. The third would be uh, our Blackhawk Black Tie event in California, which is uh, Blackhawk is a town in California, and the Blackhawk Museum is one of the finest collectible car museums in the country. And, the, and they have this event amongst the the cars in there. And that one is, I've not been to that one. Mm-hmm. I've seen plenty of pictures yeah, and yeah, that one's well. pretty crazy. That's cool. Yeah. All those sound pretty good. You know, and you already, you'd already mentioned like the, uh, band, the billfish. Yeah. Uh, North Carolina. That's, that's, that's one I worked. Yeah, yeah. One of the, one of the original fishing events. And, and that's part of the governor's cup mm-hmm. in North and South Carolina. Um, big money tournament, yep. um, big boats, a lot on the line. Uh, there's also the Oregon Tuna Classic, something similar out in Oregon. Uh, there's a big fishing derby that we do in Utah. And these are these are really big fishing events where people are coming in and fishing them because of the the prize, uh, the prize money and the yeah. prizes that are associated with it. So wow, that's awesome. And the uh, you know, one thing that one of the events that kind of sticks out to me that I always explain to people that's you know, just very unique, I guess. And and really what it was for me it was just kind of eye-opening because I attended the DC dinner um, in Washington, DC several years years back. It was right when I almost first started with DU. And what was cool about that is you know, our, our policy staff and, and they have friends throughout the Hill and they're inviting, you know, some of their friends, but they're also, you know, as part of that, they're inviting 
these elected officials, you know, you've got senators, you've got congressmen, you've got, you know, and, and for me, it was just cool to see, you know, these elected officials attend a DU event and, and a lot of the same things that would, that went on that go on at events all over the country, uh, raffles and auctions and some of the same event merchandise. You know, there's some unique stuff there, obviously, but. And be excited about it. And be fired up to be there. Yeah, I mean, and that's what I thought was pretty cool. And I think a lot of people um, don't necessarily get to see that you know, not that maybe the general DU member might not see that, you know, their senator is actually attending the DU event in D.C. The first one I went to, my thought was at the end of the night is that these people that I see on the news all the time, yeah. whether it's Fox or CNN or MSNBC, you're seeing them in person right there at that event. Mm -hmm. the, and uh, so the support that we have in D.C. is tremendous. And yeah. I think it shows in, in that event because – your average senator or member of the House, they have five or six events every single night that oh, they can go yeah. to. But to see the number that come to our event mm -hmm. in D.C. is just proof that how well-respected we are on both sides of the aisle yep. uh, inside of the Beltway. So it's it's a really cool event. Yeah, and that's what that was the eye-opener for me is I was just like, man, you know, that, that DU brand, you know, really does have – you know, that power that we talk about all the time, sure, you know, sure. um, and, and to really attract these, these elected officials to come in there and have a good time. And it was, and the event was great. It was fun. You know, sure. I really liked it. You know, we, those are the kind of the unique events, but if you were like a, in a traditional banquet setting, which events would you choose? Oh, you're, <laughs> you're going to get emails <laughs> yeah, about all these. Cause somebody's going to be like, dude, you didn't know, even gonna, gonna, mention gonna, them on. I'm going to get, I'm going to get in trouble here. Uh, the ones that come to mind are really the ones that are on that top 10 list every year. Mm -hmm. Seattle, Denver, Houston, the New York City dinner, um, which is, that one has a lot of history because our first headquarters was in New York City. Yeah. New Orleans, Brandywine. Uh, Brandywine, um, that's one that is, from a traditional dinner, it's like going back in time. Really? Yeah, and just the way that the dinner is structured, it's um, it's really, really cool, but has that charm, that Delmarva mm -hmm. charm with the boats of oysters, and um, so that's one. There's some in Louisiana, uh, the Lafayette uh, dinner is one. That, I bet that's a big one, yeah. Yeah, that's a big one there. Stockton out in California is coming back on strong. So those, yeah. I, I think those are the ones that I'll just list off now and then make everybody upset all of across the country. <laughs> yeah, no, and, and just events in general, you know, I think, you know, I always find, I enjoy always going to events, but I always enjoy talking about it to people, trying to explain the wide range um, of just various types of events, but where they're located. I mean, you can find a, a DU event in Key West or a DU event in Alaska where there's not even any roads. See, I should have mentioned the Key West event. Yeah, See, there you go. Yeah. Um, and, and so it's like, you know, th I think that's what makes it really cool and makes it almost like it unites, you know, that DU uh, membership and volunteers across the board. Um, and I think this has been a great conversation to really open up that you know, the door to see, not necessarily behind the curtain. I mean, it is, but just for people to, out there to know that, hey, if they want to play a bingo game, they probably can. You know, yeah. if you're on a committee and you say, hey, man, I just on the DU podcast, I heard I'm talking about an ice fishing event. Let's see if we can do one of sure. those, you know. And so I think that really just kind of opens up the the dialogue for all of this. There's There's tons of opportunities as an event attendee, and it's so much easier for people to get involved and volunteer than I think they realize. Mm -hmm. I mean, it's really just a, 
a phone call or yeah. just get online and send us an email. Yep. And that's ducks.org forward slash volunteer. Um, you can also reach out to your regional director. Mm-hmm. Well, this has been, uh, you know, very enlightening from a, an event perspective. I mean, there's so many different ways that Ducks Unlimited raises money for wetlands conservation, but the event system is really, um, like I've mentioned before, it's the face of the organization. It's where people get to know DU. It's where people get to know even the regional directors. And I think it's important to have some of these conversations just to open that dialogue about, you know, and this could turn into a, a completely different conversation that we may have with a regional director about specific events here on the podcast. Um, and, I, and I welcome that, but I appreciate you coming on the show and that this has just been fantastic. Well, I appreciate you having me. It's been great and I'm thrilled to be here. I'd like to thank my guest, David Schusler for coming on the DU podcast and talking about the Ducks Unlimited event system and the fundraising process. I'd like to thank our producer, Chris Isaac, for putting the show together and getting it out to you. And I'd like to thank you, the listener, for joining us on the DU podcast and supporting wetlands conservation. Thank you for listening to this episode of the DU Podcast. Be sure to rate, review, and subscribe to the show. And visit www.ducks.org slash DU Podcast for resources based on today's topics, as well as access to more episodes. Opinions expressed by guests do not necessarily reflect those of Ducks Unlimited. Until next time, stay tuned to the Ducks. You and your dog are a team. Fuel is best in the field and in life with Purina Pro Plan Sport. Made for hardworking dogs of all ages, every sport formula starts with real meat as the number one ingredient and is specifically formulated to support strength and stamina. Try it today and see why Pro Plan is the official dog food of Ducks Unlimited. Learn more at ProPlanSport.com. Mossy Oak has partnered with Ducks Unlimited to bring you Shadowgrass Habitat, the official camo of Ducks Unlimited. Shadowgrass Habitat pays homage to the first waterfowl-specific camo pattern ever made, Mossy Oak Shadowgrass, while incorporating the most realistic, digitally accurate images of the natural habitats that make up true waterfowl habitat. Mossy Oak is committed to conservation as its highest priority. With the launch of Mossy Oak Shadowgrass Habitat, Mossy Oak will continue funding habitat protection projects through our longtime partnership with Ducks Unlimited. Check out the new Shadowgrass Habitat pattern at mossyoak.com. Step into the world of Campus Waterfowl, a community that's shaping the future of the hunting industry. At Campus Waterfowl, we're more than just hunters. We're students. We're We're conservationists. We're conservationists. With the next generation. generation. Join us as we highlight the dedication and commitment of young hunters nationwide. Visit CampusWaterfowl.com to become part of our story. Campus Waterfowl, the future of hunting starts here. We are the Ducks Unlimited Nation. United by our passion for hunting, the outdoors, and conservation. The habitats that Ducks Unlimited have been maintaining and building since 1937 have effects far beyond the duck hunting community. Follow along with our YouTube series as we tell your stories and become part of the Ducks Unlimited Nation. DU Nation. Take it outside.